And cue music. All right, welcome back to another episode of A-Sides. This is Brent. Uh, This week, I went solo and had the chance to sit down and talk to Alex Deason of the Damwells. So, hey, man, yeah. So, Alex, uh, so you got a lot going on, man. You got a lot of stuff coming out. Well, sure. I mean, what else am I going to do? Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely a good time to be creative, so I feel you on that one. It is, yeah. So Broken Baby has a song that's on a compilation album that's coming out this Friday, right? That's right, yeah. Okay. And that's that's the band you have with your girlfriend, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started that in 2017 and uh, put out the first EP, I think, and yeah, later that year, and then another LP in 2018, and then uh, this year we were going to put out our next LP, which we just finished, but with the coronavirus hitting, uh, you know, we got a tour planned, a West Coast tour with another band, and uh, EP coming out kind of is like the starting point for the record. And of course, that's all been kind of put on hold. We're still kind of releasing singles and stuff like that. But, but then, of course, when you know, I mean, we're we're a political band, you know, and that's sort of like layman's terms for we are an extremely left-wing punk rock band. Um, so which is layman's terms for we are human beings with a conscious. <laughs> right. Um, so we, um, you know, when, when the country started to go into this, um, you know, civil rights mode, you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever we're going to historians will call it the second civil rights movement. Um, you know, we kind of sprung to action and we run a, we run a record label. So we put together a compilation with a bunch of artists on that label and a bunch of artists on the parent label, um, which I'm the general manager of. And, and you know we're donating all the proceeds plus plus two thousand dollars in matching donations from the from the label and from um, some anonymous donors. Um, and we're donating that money to Color of Change, which is a um, it's an activist online resource that creates um, and promotes um, activism for social uh, sorry for criminal justice and for um, you know um, police brutality. Uh, and then uh, Black Lives Matter. We're not sure exactly which chapter we're going to uh, donate to, but it'll probably be Los Angeles and Dallas based since that's where we are and that's also where the parent label is. Right, okay. And so, uh, what? how many other bands are on this compilation? And are they are they all bands that are signed to your, your guys' label, I take it? Yeah, they're actually, the way that the label the situation works is that we... We, I'm the general manager of the Palo Santo Music Group, which is a label group that's based in Dallas, Texas. And of that, in within that label group, there are several, uh, like sort of smaller labels, sister labels, or you know, subsidiaries, imprints, whatever the word du jour is. Um, and uh, those labels all have artists on them. The label that Amber and I own and operate is called Poor Man Records, and that's one of the distributed labels by Palo Santo Music Group. And so we have some of our artists um, that are on Poor Men Records, some of the artists that are on Palo Santo Records proper, and some of the artists that are on Hit Records, which is another subsidiary of 
the poor man or the uh, Palo Santo Music Group. It's all very confusing, needlessly <laughs> confusing, but but it, but it is what it is. Right. It's basically so that all the it's kind of like um, a profit share is kind of the way that it's explain explains to people sometimes. Um, the label is owned by um, Sarah Henry and Salim Narala, who are both um, my really good friends. I've been friends with Salim Narala, who's a producer and a songwriter out of Texas for you know 20 years. And so he his label is Hit Records, so he goes out and finds stuff that's you know it's like that's the stuff that he loves, and everyone else is like, yeah, whatever. And he puts that out, um, and then he also puts out stuff on Palo Santo Records, which he also owns and operates. But that's sort of something he does with Sarah. And then Poor Man Records is something that Amber and I do. But, you know, so the idea is that we all kind of have the big pot, which is Palo Santo, and then our own little pots, which are, you know, hit records for Salim, Poor Man Records for me and uh, Amber, and then Palo Santo Records for Sarah, Salim, uh, and, you know, us too. But, of course, we're all kind of involved in, in everything. You know, I mean, Sarah Henry, who's the CEO, is just, you know, a huge fan of a lot of the stuff that's on uh, Poor Man Records and... Um, but I think, you know, the, it's sort of like Palo Santo Records is the, like, is the major label among our label group, and then the other ones are sort of the smaller ones. Right on. That's easy enough to follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing better than I am. <laughs> well, hey, man, I probably should have said this right out the gate, but thanks for uh, taking the time to to do a quick chat, you know? So, yeah, sure, man. Um been a fan for uh, many years man and uh i got the chance to see the damn wells you guys' last tour i think well it was the tour for the last record and it was oh sure so i only 15 ish yeah yeah i was down okay. at the firebird in uh st louis oh cool okay and so yeah i didn't get a chance to see you guys live until the tail end of the whole thing but hey i was glad i did that's for sure well, so well good man me too it was a great show um and you know, speaking of that, you got a re-release for uh, One Last Century coming out next month. I know. You said, right? Yeah, I mean, thanks to uh, to your friend who uh, I did the, who I just did his podcast, and uh, you know, he was asking me about it, um, and I was like, well, I don't. The, the reason why we haven't re-released it is because we I just don't have a um, you know wa- wave files or you know wh- whatever. I don't. I don't. I no longer have the masters. Uh, um, so he was like, um, well, I think I have it. I can probably send them to you. So, you know, within a couple of hours, Dustin has sent me the, the wave file. So I was like, well, I guess I got no excuse now. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to put that out, you know, um, I don't know, as, you know, as soon as like, the compilation is sort of like the biggest, you know, the biggest thing right now. And once we get that sort of out in the world and finish promoting it, you know, right now, Amber is like you know trying to get some press together for it and all that stuff so once we get that together um and it's out and we're raising money because you know we're trying to raise money right. uh, then i think we can you know talk about other stuff oh cool is that just going to be a straight re-release or will the will there be uh any unreleased material no just a straight just release a straight i don't even i mean i guess i could do unreleased material um but i don't know if there really is much from that era right you know um so it'd be kind of kind of hard pressed to find anything, but um, but yeah, I mean, I'll take a look. I mean, the thing too is that it's like you know, um, if we were some huge band, I probably would have been more. Uh, I guess it would have been the top of mind 
to get that onto you know the DSPs as they're called digital streaming platforms Spotify Apple Music and Tidal and all that stuff but right. but since it's you know since it's like you know I get one message about that record a year you know um, you know I, I hate to say this but it, it's just not a priority for me yeah. and it isn't really a priority for the rest of the world you know and I'm trying to be kind to the people who are like what do you mean I emailed you about it you know? um, <laughs> right, right. but it's just you know I mean it's like I was saying to Dustin in, in my uh, in the podcast with him it's like you know I'm kind of a retired solo artist or I'm, I'm kind of a retired front man so I, I don't really have the energy um, to you know to run a label uh, produce records which I also do uh, write songs with Amber for Broken Baby and plan promotions and releases for that as well as all the other artists on the label as well as you know um, you know tracking and recording and producing and mixing and all the stuff that I do for my production stuff and then also try to sort of maintain the um, you know the archives of the damn wells and, and try to be like the you know the, the guy who's maintaining all that stuff um, so that's kind of why it's taking a backseat right well no I mean it makes sense you're moving on and you're you know you have new creative endeavors that you're focusing on other than the past you know and yeah and and you know i i feel bad because i know that that's important to to you know a, a couple dozen people but <laughs> <laughs> um but you know uh that's just kind of where i'm at all right well speaking of you you know you mentioned solo work you, you said you had uh what eight new solo songs you just put out too yeah yeah um which is i guess strange for someone who just called themselves a retired frontman or solo artist, but right. but I think that you know, kind of my philosophy is that that at this point in my life, what I do, writing songs and you know, producing and being in bands and stuff, this is my these are my skills, you know, like a like a carpenter or like a you know, although a carpenter is probably far far more difficult. You know, you can't sit on anything that I make. Uh, I mean, you you can probably sit on it, but you crush it, and it wouldn't wouldn't really be very comfortable. Um, so I, I think of it as like, well, you know, this was, of course, before we got, uh, you know, we sprung into activist mode. But, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was everyone was kind of like, what do we do? Um, people were stuck at home. People were isolated alone. A lot of people were isolated alone. And, you know, I don't know if you were, but um, the people that I know that were isolated by themselves, I mean, it, it, it was and continues to be really, really brutal. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the things that people don't really talk about a lot. Um, I mean, you see it on social media or you were anyway, you know, that, you know, Hey, if someone, you know, is isolating alone, be sure to check up on them. And I just felt like, um, you know, music is like the music, music is the community patchwork of the loner. You know, it's like the thing that brings people together across time and space and, and I think that it's important, you know, for people that have that skill to try to bridge those spaces, try to be the bridge between time and space between people. Um, you know, I think before when I was younger, I'd be like, well, I don't have anything to say, so I'm just not going to write it. You know, and I think that's bullshit. You know, anybody with a skill, you know, can sit down and, and perform that skill with the discipline. Um, and I'm a firm believer in that. Um, so I just kind of sat down and I was like, what, 
honestly, what do people want to hear from from what are the what are the fans of the Danwells of me? What, what what would make them feel good? And I was like, let me try to write the lost Danwells record. Um, you know, let me let me try to write what would be songs that feel like a Danwells record. Um, and so I did that. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a hack. I'm a self-proclaimed hack. You know, um, I, you know, I lift from other artists of the past, you know, I, and I, you know, I don't steal, but I mean, I think that what, what I do and what every songwriter does is they listen to the things that influence them. And then they try to find ways to use that in their own material. Um, and I think it's important, um, you know that songwriters don't necessarily have to acknowledge that in the beginning of their career because they think that they're you know the first people to you know go CGD. But you know when you discover that that's been done a billion times and that the melody that you put on top of it has been done a million times, you you can actually use that as a powerful incentive to say, well, you know, I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to hide behind trying to be wholly original. I'm actually going to try to use familiar chords and melodies and things like that um and i think that's like you know that's kind of the definition of a hack and i think of that as like a good thing um ryan reynolds is like great i don't ryan reynolds ryan adams um ryan adams is like he he is like the quintessential hack you know he can just sit down and write a song and he can do it in lots of different modes and lots of different styles um i think people call that talent you know i think it's Sure, I think talent is too vague a word. That's like peace. What does peace mean? You mean like criminal justice reform? Do you mean like um, you know uh, taking deadly weapons out of uh, untrained police officers' hands? I mean, so I, I think that calling it talent is is not specific enough. So it's it's hackery. So when the pandemic hit, I'm like, I'm a hack. I have this skill. I'm going to use it. And you know, like I said, I, I tried to sort of give myself the focus of. Let's try to do what Danwell's fans want to hear from me, as opposed to what I was doing before, before that, making solo records. You know, saying this is—I'm singing about this because this is what I want to say, or what I need to say, or whatever. Right. Yeah, those were definitely different records. You know. Yeah, I enjoyed those as well, but they are a totally different style, and and yeah, I get I get what you're saying in the sense that you were, at least to me, I'm piecing together what you're saying now is that you you had a message that you were trying to say maybe more so than just sitting down and writing a catchy song like a just a straight up pop song or however you want to call it you know sure yeah i think that when i was younger i was afraid of those terms i was afraid of like being called a hack or 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 being unoriginal or being you know um like pop writing a pop song like that was to me was because i grew up listening to you know punk rock music and alternative music and and that was all very much against those things. Um, but I think it's more, um, you know, like I said, I think as you get older, you kind of, you know, I'm almost 42 years old. It's like I've been doing this for 25 years. Um, as you get older, you're kind of like, I don't, I, I don't really have the patience to try to spool together a mystery that I can then unfurl for the people who listen to my music. I'd rather just write a song. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I personally find it when you know artists have a kind of that wear their influences on their sleeve kind of 
mentality in their songwriting. And I sometimes there's just a certain uh, amount of charm there that that makes it that much more, uh, you know, enjoyable. I mean, you just connect, yeah. you connect to it. I mean, um, absolutely. Like, like you're saying with you know Ryan Adams stuff. I mean, I know what you mean there because he definitely kind of he can write a rock record one minute and turn around and write a singer songwriter the next moment. And then he has all these elements of, you know, stuff that you're already familiar with, like the, re- the replacements on rock and roll, you know? And so it's already sure. you're already connecting with it. Cause you've already, you've already got that in, you know, etched in your, uh, in your brain and everything. So, yeah, I mean, Freddie Mercury is another great example of a hack, you know, I mean, that guy could like write R and B, he could write a, fucking blistering rock anthem he could write a like just a just a a stadium chant song for a sports team you know like how many times have you been to a sports game where you heard that 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 familiar sound come over the pa that you know it's like that is the work of a true hack you know someone who can just like bang out something in a style and i think it's you know I think that's really remarkable and enviable that he was able to do that. And so proficiently and so early on in his development as an, as an artist, you know, and I, I want to give credit to the rest of the band too, Brian May and the rest of the, of the right. band. But, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's really the mouth, the mouthpiece of that band, those melodies, those lyrics that, that people connect to. And, and that's the power of it. And, you know, there's a sort of like self-awareness that I think a lot of people are missing these days, especially in pop music. It's it's so it's it lacks such self-aware. It's 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 laughable sometimes when, you know, when performers get on stage and 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 go into some tirade about being an artist and what their art artistry is about and what their message is about. When you and I both know, you go to the fucking Wikipedia page and seven fucking people wrote that song. Right. It's like what are you talking about? You know, just it's, it's like when Nora Jones won that Grammy, she was like, I want to thank the songwriters. I want to thank my band. I want to thank, you know, that that's someone who has self-awareness. They understand what, what they're doing, you know? Right. Um, and I, I don't know when it happened, probably in the seventies when, you know, the, the Brill building and the, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of songwriters row people started becoming the performers. And then it was like, Oh, that's the standard. I can't just be the singer anymore. You know, I have to be the writer as well. And then it became sort of like faux pas to like not be the writer of your own songs. Um, and now we're living in this, in this sort of fun house of exaggeration and lies about how pop music is created and who's doing the creating and who's saying what. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I don't, know, I don't even know what the question was anymore. So sorry. Sorry no. for my rant. No, you're good, man. <laughs> Hey, I I like getting off track. That's usually what we do uh, most of the time, anyhow. So, <laughs> well, cool, cool. we do different interviews, and then we have me and my co-host Andy will have uh, episodes where we just talk about our favorite uh, artist or some new music that's coming out or whatever. And man, I can't oh, even cool. tell you how far off track we get sometimes. I mean, good, good. I mean, we had a Lady Gaga episode. And somehow, by the end of it, we were talking about Kiss and all this other shit well, that I mean, had they're nothing. They're not that different. <laughs> <laughs> right. It just, I don't know, man. It, it, 
that's just the way it always goes. But that's the that's a good yeah. conversation, you know. Uh, cool. Rather that. than having a rather than having a script to sit to, you know, stick right, to. Because right. I don't I don't have that. I don't. <laughs> I thought about writing some stuff down, and I was like, no, because I don't want to just uh, I don't want to turn this into something where it doesn't feel like a conversation. Um, well, cool. I appreciate that. So yeah, man. Uh, you know, I think we kind of touched on uh, some of your influences growing up. You were talking about punk and alternative and stuff um yeah so i guess what was some of your earliest uh influences you know or some of your earliest bands you were getting into and um i remember hearing um like the replacements being played out of my sister's bedroom when i was i don't even know like maybe eight or something um and uh, and I remember thinking that that was dangerous music and I liked it. Uh, I was listening to like, you know, um, appetite for destruction at the time and like the sex pistols and stuff. And I liked that music because it felt, um, you know, as a sort of naive kid in the suburbs of New Jersey, it felt like, like those were my people, you know, right. or actually when I listened to the replacements, I realized that those were my people. And then, you know, the, Guns and Roses and uh, uh, and Sex Pistols and all that stuff were the people that I wished I could I was, you know what I mean? Because okay, um, they were cool and it was like you know full of sex and uh, and then I listened to the replacements and it was like it was just kind of it was it was like um, just awesome, you know? It was like they didn't care about about anything that you were supposed to care about in a song like girls and the government. And it was kind of awesome just hearing these little stories and hearing this, this little world told in such a big and bold way, I guess. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of that. And then, you know, I kind of got into like a lot of Minneapolis music, started listening to Bob Mould, who I think at the time was in, um, was still in Husker Du, um, you know, followed him and his work through Sugar and into the solo stuff. And, you know, of course, was following the replacements and, um, you know, early Soul Asylum. And, um, you know, it was like the proto Seattle scene, you know, it was actually this Minneapolis rock scene, um, which included Prince, too. I mean, he was like the guy that all those bands went to go see at First Avenue and they would just leave with their, you know, their jaws on the floor. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's kind of where it started at least finding like uh a real jumping off point for understanding uh, profoundly what music affected me and then that took me to like all kinds of other stuff you know uh weird punk rock and um some alternative like music and you know there was like a whole high school period where I was like really into a lot of these bands that were on this label touch and go. Um, uh, there was a band called shellac, which is, you know, Steve, which still exists. And it's like one of my favorite bands of all time is Steve Albini's band. And Steve Albini's is such an interesting character. I mean, he, he's just sort of like this iconoclastic. He's like the iconoclast at the iconoclast convention. You know, he's like, there's there's nowhere to put him. Um, and I love that. I just, I, I love that. Um, and then I was also into, um, uncle Tupelo and a lot of, um, you know, the stuff that came out of that, which of course was Wilco and Sunvolt and, um, 
And, and to me, that felt like a new American kind of folk movement, which is, you know, to me, folk music is music with a message, you know, we're messages first. And right. I, I just really, I really loved that music. I loved, I loved hearing Jeff Tweedy's voice on a lot of that early Uncle Tupelo stuff. Um, and I, I kind of found that that was my entryway. So there was like, you know, at first with the Minneapolis stuff and punk rock or whatever, that was kind of where I, where I felt that I made a deep and profound connection. But then there was like my, my jumping in point, I guess, like where I think I can do this music. And that was when I heard uncle Tupelo. And that was when I heard, um, you know, a lot of that stuff and I started writing, you know, folk songs and, um, cause I was certainly in punk bands before that, but I did, I think it was more of in punk bands. It was more about how fast and loud can we do this? And then with being a, you know, kind of getting into songwriting or folk songwriting, it was more about like, what can I say here? You know? Right. <clears throat> so I'm trying to think here. The first Dan Wells record was what? 2000. The very first release was, I think, 2002 or three. 2000, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm bad at remembering dates, but I knew it was back then sometime. <laughs> Dude, me too. You and me both. Um, so, yeah. Um, was there any bands that you, uh, any that you just mentioned or any that you just uh, were growing up and heavily influenced by that you ended up? opening for or playing shows with with the damn wells what you guys were taking off and yeah cheap trick cheap trick i mean Hell yeah we cut our teeth as a band opening for cheap trick i mean that was how we got that's how we learned everything i mean i think if you had it's a good teacher all four uh, all four damn wells in in separate rooms and asked us the same question we'd give the same answer um yeah we studied that band from the side of the stage i think we we wound up playing probably like I don't know, maybe 50 shows with them over the course of like a year or two years, um, or rather probably two or three years. But yeah, I mean, every show we were watching the band from the side of the stage. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. I mean, that, that's an incredible band. And then of course the catalog is like, I mean, that is like the anti arena. They're like the anti Aerosmith, you know, like I fucking hate Aerosmith. Um, I love Cheap Trek. I think I don't think you can you can really honestly do both, yeah. <laughs> you know, because Cheap Trick is 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 like the band that makes fun of Aerosmith. I mean, look at all the covers of their records, like in color. You know, you've got Robin Zander and Tom Peterson uh, on the cover, all glammed out, and then you open it up and there's Bunny Carlos and Rick Nielsen, you know, on tricycles or whatever. Right. Um, it's a really cool band. I encourage anyone to go back and listen to those recordings. Um, I think my favorite record of theirs is uh, in in color, or or even I mean the first record is great. Um, yes. Just great songs. I mean, great. And and they 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 get into some of like the like you know you know cock rock stuff like with songs like Southern Girls and. Oh yeah. But a lot of the music is really fucking like weird. Um, like yeah, Surrender record, I mean man. Sorry what was that Oh I just was gonna say That first record Had a lot of really weird shit on it Where you know I don't Think a lot of people Realize how Great And kind of off the wall Some of that shit was Just on their very first album I mean Oh yeah 
the pride of Rockford, Illinois. So yeah, so that I think that was the first band that we got to play, that we really, really were fans of and got to play with. We, you know, we did a festival with Bob Dylan one time. You know, we we played you know on the same festival, but it wasn't obviously we weren't opening for him. But that was incredible. Um, so you know, I think our Wikipedia has some sort of spurious uh, credit that we opened for Bob Dylan, but that is not true. <laughs> right. <laughs> We were on that same festival, but um, yeah, fuck it. I tell people but, you did. I just, you know, that's the way I'd word it too. Right, right. Well, we didn't word it, but yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was really cool. I mean, yeah, I think there weren't a lot of bands we wanted to play with that were like contemporaries of ours, you know. So it wasn't. I mean, I'm. I'm uh, we got to open up for. Um, the Twilight Singers, which is um, oh, Greg yeah. Dooley from Afghan Wigs. It was his his new band. Um, that was amazing. He's a crazy person. Um, yeah, he's a great songwriter too, man. Great, great songwriter. Um, and just a lunatic. And that's like some amazing badass shit. I mean, our drummer, Steve Terry, quick story. Our drummer, Steve Terry, he's like a, like a pretty badass. He's like a 6'2", you know, like tough fucking muscle-bound dude and we were in uh, a venue, I think, in Indianapolis. And sorry, now I get the barking dog. Hey, can you be quiet, please? Thank you. Um, we were opening up for them in Indianapolis, and uh, they were they were doing a sound check, and uh, we had our fingers in our ears just because it was really loud. We were listening to it, and enjoying it. And Greg Dooley stopped in the middle of the sound check, and he was like, "Hey, man, if you're gonna have your finger in here. Why don't you step outside?" <laughs> you know, Steve. Steve is like a you know he's a proud proud West Virginia boy he was not a you know one who to be like oh sorry sir you know I, I was sure they were going to get into a fist fight wow. and I just think he, Steve just knew the kind of you know he was a fan as well and he just he took his fingers out of his ears and much to my surprise was just like hey man sorry about that just but it sounds great and I was like wow <laughs> you know Greg Julie like kind of he deserved our respect even though he wasn't giving us any of it at all you know yeah. i mean obviously other than letting him up letting us up in the building but yeah i mean i think that kind of that that, that was about the, the 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 list of bands that, that we admired we got to play with including no. some i'm sure i'm forgetting yeah well you guys were a band a pretty decent amount of years there so i mean you i'm sure you played a lot of shows and it's hard to remember all of them so we did yeah but yeah, I mean that's a pretty admirable, you know, track record. I mean, Cheap Trick, that'd be that'd probably be the ultimate band to, to open for, you know. That's one of my favorite bands as well. So Oh cool. So yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. So. Tom Peterson told us he was gonna that they were going back to Budokan to play like some kind of like anniversary of their live Budokan and that we and that we were gonna get to open up for them. Oh, they yeah. were real, real practical jokers. I mean, it was total bullshit. Uh-oh. They used to do shit. They used to say do shit like that all the time. It was really funny. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So you got uh, you got any newer music that you're that you're into? You know, aside from you know what you're working on, or if there's any bands, because you said you are you're producing yeah. some other bands and stuff. So I mean. Just anything you're into as far as recent releases? Well, there's a bunch of bands on our label that uh, I love. Um, you know, we're putting out this record by this guy uh, 
who goes by human Barbie <laughs> and he's got a record coming out and it's like this absolutely stunningly curated 70s singer songwriter record it sounds like a were you ever a fan of bread you know i want to make it with you okay so everyone's heard that song right? yeah i mean i remember that song but i can't say that i've ever heard an entire album of theirs there are a ton of great bread songs so this is kind of like elliot smith meets bread it's it's really really phenomenally produced incredible songs and it's really really beautiful um and it's great and that's coming out i think in the next i think the next single for that is coming out june uh june 30th so it's coming that's right around the corner i'm not sure when we're going to put out the whole record but that's when the next single is coming out and then we put out a record by this band called tummy ache that broken baby toured with at the end at the beginning of this year actually in january and they put out an EP called Hump Day, and it's it's like furious uh, alternative rock, just just great great songs, great voice. Soren is an incredible singer, um, and it's great songs, and uh, that's out now. Um, we're working with another band called Pure Adult, so I'm kind of like giving you the spectrum. I mean, you have kind of like the singer songwriter thing, the alternative rock thing, and then this is like the noise band kind of art band kind of thing. They're called Pure Adult. They're from New York. It's fronted by um, the, a, a guy and a girl, and um, and it's it's furious rock in the way it sounds and in what it's saying. Also very political, and um, uh, they're great. Very activist rock. Um, we're putting a song uh, out with them. I'm not sure when, but later this year, that'll be a Poor Man Records release. Um, yeah, I mean those those are kind of three things that I think that are really cool that I'm you know involved in in some way, but not not the the writer or creator or band member of. Right on. Well, that sounds cool. And all three of those bands will have songs in this compilation that's coming out Friday. Well, there you go. That's a good way to kind of get uh, you know a little taste of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, what was the name of the compilation again? I. I I'm sorry if I already asked this, but I don't I don't recall if we did no, I don't think say did. the it's name. Called, yeah, it's just uh, the, the, the compilation is called Compilation for Change, and it's available on Bandcamp for download or stream uh, starting June 19th. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's called Palo Santo Records Compilation for Change. Okay. And that is Bandcamp exclusive? Yeah, and uh, okay. 100% of the proceeds uh, of Bandcamp's revenue share go to the NAACP legal defense fund for that day but then 100% of the proceeds for the lifetime of the project that come to us go to color for change or color of change and um, black lives matter as well as $2,000 in matching donations from the label okay well very good hopefully some people listen to this and go out and download that and yeah, I think it's a good, like, compilations are great. It's like, yeah, instead of just throwing 20 bucks at something that you don't understand, right? Um, let us do the understanding for you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You you get to listen to the music. You know? Right. Well, and it might turn them on to, you know, these different sure, bands. Sure, that would be even better. Or even better than that would turn them on to these different issues. You right, know? right. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, hey, man, I don't want to keep you too long. Um but I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat about this and uh, yeah, and it was really good talking with you and uh, 
I look forward to hearing that compilation. I'm going to check it out Friday, and and hopefully a uh, few of the listeners at least will uh, do the same after listening to this. So That'd be great. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, I guess, you know, stay in touch if you got anything new coming out later on and you want to do another sure. episode or, you know whatever so i don't i don't yeah. imagine there's going to be i know this is probably the question that I, I didn't want to ask or you didn't want to be asked but i'm going to ask anyhow there's probably not like a damn wells reunion down the road or anything like that right um well we did one last year we played in october in brooklyn we did like a show uh it was really fun i mean yeah there's no reason why we wouldn't do that again um you know uh i don't know about a reunion where we would like write new material um and it's not because we don't like each other it's just because i mean ted is a is an rn in colorado steve owns a bunch of businesses in texas dave is um he works in uh energy and you know we run a label it's like there really isn't uh but it was it was a fun show and it was like you know uh, fans came from all over and yeah we'd love to do that again it was really fun for for i think for us or at least for me it's more about um you know, maybe selfishly, but it's, it's more about just me getting to hang out with my brothers again. You know I mean? Those guys carried me through my twenties into my thirties and, and, and we're, you know, we're there every night singing these songs I wrote, um, with me, you know, right. uh, that's like what a gift that was. And I love those guys to death. So yeah, for me, it's, you know, like I said, it's just, I would love to just get out, get us all together again. We can go grab some, some burgers or beers or whatever, you know, shoot the fat right well yeah man if we're gonna do that we may as well play a show <laughs> well hell yeah i don't think yeah. you know i don't think the fans are gonna complain about that so no i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> all right alex well hey man i'll let you go uh thanks again man and yeah thank I will you hopefully talk to you again sometime soon okay cool man